0: Check out Schwans.com backslash yum for details. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hey!
1: So the L.A. Rams will be the number two seed, they finish 13-3, and a 13-win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. and still have you, yeah. it's time to put in the work, yeah. every man gonna dominate, offense, defense, special team,
0: let's go! What are we talking about? Greg Zerline yeah. sends the Rams to the Super Bowl!
2: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio, this is Derek C. Paul, my co-host tonight, my partners in crime, Steve Goldstein, and former Los Angeles Rams defensive back, Michael Stewart. It is May 3rd, as we're getting ready to kick off this week, our tour on the league. We got some home brewing to talk about, the Los Angeles Rams, some ties that bind that we need to kind of bring together. And it's all about this roster, and it's all about this team. Mike, gonna start with you, how you doing?
1: hey man we're doing good excited about uh what's going on in ramville ramland and and everything that's going on out here in california as the sunshine is coming out nice big and bright and uh so man i'm glad to be back here to hang out with you fellas
3: awesome steve what's up oh man i'm doing i'm doing great still in desperate need of a haircut but other than that i am uh really uh jazzed about this uh New roster that we have, draft picks, undrafted free agents, and uh, I'm really, really fired up about it. So hopefully we can talk about that in the next few minutes here. Steve,
2: I, I gotta tell you, man just just shave it off, man just just shave it all off. <laughs> it's a you cheap haircut that way, free. I, I got, I got, I got. It.
3: I got a big nose and rather big ears it would not look, be a good look it, I'd, I'd be looking i'd be looking like uncle fester
2: who cares uh, who's it, seeing you right now
3: anyways <laughs> it, would, it would not be a good look for me trust me you're right it probably it probably wouldn't, wouldn't matter but uh i don't know i'm gonna see see what i can i can do i'm gonna try to get the uh clay matthews look going here soon
2: oh clay matthews that's something to talk about today <laughs> as well all right folks so, yeah this is a. Uh, it's May, but, you know, there's always a little drama brewing when it comes to the Rams. Before we get into all that, I just want to remind you that we're sponsored by Jim Hawkins, book Hall of His Team, and he's got a new version of the book coming out a little bit later on this this year. Check it out when it comes out. It's a, it's a different view. It's more based on fathers and relationship with his dad than anything else. Also, remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Don't forget to subscribe. We have a five-star review on Apple Music. It really helps us out. Don't forget our other show on the network right now, butting heads. But about those five-star reviews, I've got a few of them coming in. I'm meaning to take time and read through those reviews. We will, uh, this has the brewings of a long show, so I'll make sure I get to the actual content content that you're here for, but we will shout those people out in the next couple of episodes. If you want to help us out, we are giving away a nice Rams jersey, maybe a throwback for you because you might not like what's coming. I don't know, we'll find out. But this is how you do it. You leave a five-star review in Apple Music, you write out that review, you send a screenshot of it, and that's it. You're entered, okay? You send to us at rants1945gmail.com. you're automatically entered, we'll read your feedback on the show eventually, it's when we can package them all in together, okay? So we're going to jump right in. Steve, you have been overlooking the new roster a little bit, the UDFAs, you're pretty excited. Mike, I know you've been looking at it as well. There's also some rules that we need to let people know about just to remind you this new CBA changes some rules. So Mike Mike and Steve are going to kind of talk through this. But really, Steve, you've got this all outlined.
3: What are the rules here for
2: the practice squad?
3: So the practice squad is being extended from a 10-player practice squad from last year to to a 12-man practice squad for this year. Uh, The caveat is that two of those guys can be sent to we'll call the active 53 man slash 55 man because when you add those two it's going to be a 55 man roster for the week and those two guys can stay up there for as long as you want them to uh, and you can then send them back down to the practice squad and bring up another two guys or send one of them back and send another guy up from from the practice squad. And you can do that twice. So each guy has two chances of being sent to this active roster, the 53 slash 55, back to the practice squad two times without exposing him to waivers. Because as in the past, as you know, once you brought a guy up uh, from the practice squad, you could not just send him back. You had to expose him to a 24-hour waiver process in which he was out there for a lot of teams. And that's actually how we lost... Dakota Allen last year. Uh, the first time we lost Dakota Allen, uh, we all actually lost him twice last year. But the first time we lost him is because we had brought him up, and then um, somebody had had picked him off off, off the roster. So uh, you know that that's that's a change, and also obviously a fifty-five man roster now heading into a week of the game. Also, in addition to that, the game day roster goes from forty-six to forty-eight, so you have another two spots there. That you can use, you know, for your a third string quarterback uh, or whatever, or whatever position you may be hurting at at in terms of depth, in terms of injuries for that particular week. So those are basically the the changes.
2: So with all these changes, uh, I'm going to go to you first. This roster, this rebuilt, I guess we'll say rebuilt in some kind of way, rebuilt, renewed, whatever you want phrase it as. How do you feel about this roster now heading into what would be normally mini-camps? Now it's basically Zoom call camps or Google camps, whatever you want to call them.
1: How do you feel about it? Well, uh, again... The good thing about the new and upcoming season is just that you get a chance to see what guys are going to be made of whenever a camp or something like that gets going. Uh, Obviously, we'll get a lot of reporting on, you know, what stats are being on paper. And then hopefully, you know, obviously there's film on these guys. Uh, what that transfers into real time playing time, but you know it's always exciting uh, when you got a new fresh start, and so now it's time to start evaluating and see where it goes. Well, is
2: there anybody in particular that stands out to you
1: in regards to uh, this the, this year's draft? Agent. Let's
2: go to the free agents first. That we talked to the, the draft free draft agents. Or, yeah, what, who's the or oh, those names on there? Who stands out to you in those UDFs?
1: Well, it's going to be interesting because you know. I just kind of look at it from a sense of who actually out of the free agent pool has an opportunity to actually make the team. You have two quarterbacks they just signed to go go along with John uh, Walford, who's on the roster. But John Walford's six one, the gentleman from Virginia, uh, Bryce Perkins is a six three quarterback, can run and throw, but a little bit inaccurate. And then you have the Mountain West player of the year in Josh Love out of San Jose State, you know, obviously plays against my old alma mater, Fresno State. And so, you know, we pull for those kind of guys. But he's a guy who threw for a lot of yards, came on strong last year as a senior. So, you figure in your mind, one of those guys is going to make the team. And then it's going to be like, okay, well, which one? You know, so Uh, If I had to just pick right now, I would probably go with Bryce Perkins just because of his size and height and, uh, you know, upward uh, progression, if you will. Have some things you need to work on, you know, not floating balls. Those things will get picked in in uh, high school. I mean, college. Uh, I mean, pros. They didn't get so much pick there. And then one other, there's a number less, and I'm going to let Steve jump on it as well. But, you know, we got a a DB slash cornerback safety out of Fresno State who, you know, a good buddy of mine coaches him, coached him last year and has rave reviews. And and I look at a guy like that maybe being a sleeper just because at the secondary position, they're going to need probably another two or three guys uh, to probably make the squad. So this gives a guy like him an opportunity.
2: All right. Steve, what's your view on the UDF phase this year?
3: Yeah, I I'm I'm really excited about it. You know, they, they, they brought in twenty twenty plus guys uh now. So uh, I'm gonna piggyback on, on the quarterbacks just for a second because everybody loves to talk quarterbacks. Uh Bryce Perkins is like like Mike said, six three, two fifteen, four five guy. You know, he's really all over the field in terms of his running ability, if you look at most of his highlights, most of his highlights are, are more runs than they are throws and passes. I mean, right now, in my mind, he's not an NFL quarterback in the sense that he's going to stop and drop back, you know, go through three progressions and hit an open target. He, he's not, and I, I don't think he's ready, and it's probably going to take a, a while. His mechanics are, are not really that good. Uh, like Mike says, he floats a lot of balls. I mean, a lot of that can be corrected. With mechanics, because there's no doubt he's talented. He's incredibly talented. He actually reminds me a little bit of Tyrod Taylor coming out when Tyrod Taylor was coming out of Virginia Tech, uh, in that regard. But I think Tyrod Taylor was maybe a little bit farther along in terms of his mechanics. But but Bryce Perkins is definitely a talent, and and I could also see them using him. You know, I agree with Mike. I think this guy actually could make it at the third quarterback because of not so much of his quarterback abilities, but the fact that you could use him as a slash type player, as a Taysom Hill type um, goal line, wildcat, two-point conversion guy, because I will tell you, he will get extra yards uh, in, in qu- with quarterback keepers. He, he is really, really strong, and uh, he, he is a great talent running running with the ball. So, yeah, he's got a lot of value in that regard. Uh, I am actually got a little bro crush on Josh Love because, like Mike said, this guy, the Mountain West Player of the Year. And by the way, you know who else played in the Mountain West Conference as a quarterback last year? Jordan Love, the other Love. So this guy was uh, not very highly regarded when it, when it came to scouts and, and, and the NFL draft project- projections. But, I mean, if you look – I mean, he was only a one-year full-time starter at San Jose State last year. He played in five games in, in 17 and 18, eight games in 18. So he had some spot starts. Um, he They did beat Arkansas, uh, in Arkansas, where he led them back uh, with a, a touchdown drive at the end of the game. His deep ball accuracy is really good. Like, his deep ball accuracy is Jared Goff-level deep ball accuracy. Uh, he... he he, he and he's got a strong enough arm so I, he's 6'2 205 and we actually had another quarterback who was about the same size when he he came over and uh as an undrafted free agent and his name is kurt warner i'm not going to compare josh love to kurt warner but I, I will tell you this guy has a lot a lot of something to him he's not very mobile he's not gonna he's not gonna you know, run the ball like Bryce Perkins, but he seems to have really good pocket presence. He there's a pretty good stat about him. About uh, uh, it's a PFF stat. It's it's pressures to sack ratio, and he had the highest pressure to sack ratio in the country. Meaning he knew he knows the pocket. He knows how to maneuver within the pocket. He knows how to step up and avoid the rush. So I could see him making um, a, a practice squad for sure, and have Perkins be the. Th- number three guy just because of his abilities. So, uh, but I think Josh Love is a guy, I'm not going to say he's going to beat out John Wolford because Wolford. I mean, he's got the experience right now on McVay's offense, but I can see Josh Love is a guy they cultivate uh, down, down the road. So I, I really like him a lot. Um, yeah. The, uh, there, there's a couple other interesting guys. Uh, you know, they have three wide receivers and I'll go through these really quick. Asaf Winston from Washington State, five eleven, one ninety four five guy. I remember this guy because I remember him playing that wild UCLA game last year. It was like UCLA came back from that down twenty eight points in the fourth quarter or something. But I remember Winston had four TDs in that game and he was just just dominating. And he had big games against Arizona State and Stanford as well. He he's a he's a receiver that he really thought that he was going to be drafted. The other guy I really like who Everybody projected as a fifth or sixth round pick was Tristan Jackson from Syracuse, 6'1", 197, uh, nine and three-quarter inch hands. He was a four or five guy. He had over 1,000 yards receiving last year. He was a, a transfer from Michigan State. Um, so he, he's another guy that you could see that these guys, both these guys should battle Simba Webster and Greg Dorch for one of those last spots. The, the last guy um, is Ernest Edwards from Maine, 5'10", 175, he clocked a 4'4", but I'll tell you what, on, on film, he looks like he's 4'2", because, well, first of all, he played at Maine, so it's a little bit lower level um, in terms of, of opponent, but he's an explosive guy, explosive kickoff returner. That's where he has the advantage over Winston and Jackson in that he can return kicks and punts, and he's an explosive return guy in both both phases. And, and he's got a lot of swag to him. You you could tell he knew he was the best player on that field when he played. So, I like Ernest Edwards a lot for me. So, those are three three receivers that I think have a legitimate shot. And maybe one or two of them make the make the initial 53 and 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 one of them or two of them make, you know, the 12 man practice squad. So, I really like those guys a lot. Uh, like like um Mike said Juju Hughes, Hughes from Fresno State, Mike's alma mater, looks like an intriguing prospect. Cornerback, safety, uh, tough, smart, uh, four or five guy. He looks like he's got a shot because of his special teams ability. Uh, the kid from BYU, Diane Lake. Uh, his lap, he, he's going by. He's got a Nigerian name that he's going by now because he had an uncle that passed away, and so he took his uncle's uh, legal name which is Gonwalku, which I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. But, again, you look at this guy in Tate. He's 5'11", 200, 1 in the 47 interceptions. I mean, special teams he plays. So he's another guy to look out for. And, of course, they got Levante Taylor from Florida State, 5'10", 190. He, he was a five-star cornerback coming out of high school. He's one of the most highly um, – Recruited guys coming out of high school, but he's just had injury after injury after injury. So, you know, he's a big play guy. Had a couple pick sixes for that for Florida State. Bad Florida State team, as we know. But um, he he's another guy that can possibly make the roster. So those are a couple of the guys that I really like. Um, just kind of looking at the uh, at the sheet. All
2: right. So Michael, any closing thoughts there on? The UDFAs, anybody else that stands out to you?
1: No, no, it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, I mean, they brought a couple running backs in to, to go along with the draft pick, so that that's going to be an interesting. You know, again, somebody could you know at that running back position. I don't know that you get enough carries and looks in in a preseason to really warrant an opportunity for the make a squad. So that's always tough when you when you're trying to get on as a running back. But yeah. <clears throat> you know, uh, Steve they, did a good job breaking it down.
3: They, they Well, if I could just jump in with one running back. They actually signed two, one guy from Kansas State, uh, Gilbert. And then the guy that I really like is Xavier Jones from SMU. I, I could see this guy definitely challenging John Kelly for the third spot because he was a dope walker semifinalist last year at 1,300 yards, 23 TDs. He, he, he's a 4'6 guy, but if you look at him when he runs, he looks way faster on, on – on tape or on the field I should say than 4-6 but a lot of people had a, like a 6th 7th round grade on him but he's put together 5 11 208, he's perfect size um, so we'll see I mean he he has a chance to 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 challenge John Kelly if they are going to keep four running backs they may only keep three but if this is a guy he would definitely target for the practice squad there's 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 no doubt about that that I think he uh He's kind of a, a lock for the practice squad.
2: So. Alright, so there we go. All, and pretty happy overall. The Rams have generally found players to fill out that roster in UDFA. They've done a good job of bringing the right guys in. Famous starters developed as UDFA. So there's the next crop. Here we go. And that moves us on to the Q&A. This is where we get listeners readers come in there and chance to ask the questions and get some pretty I think we have some pretty interesting ones tonight this is from Ace Crockett at Ace Crockett on Twitter he asks are we staying in a 3-4 or going back to a 4-3 under the new DC uh, we're going we're staying in a 3-4 as far as I know we're staying in a 3-4 as yeah, you well know, yeah, that's,
3: def- that, that's definite they, they've always run the 3-4 where, where Brandon Staley's been and, and obviously with the personnel that's on the current roster um, that would have been a major shakeup to go from a 4-3, a 3-4 three, three, to a 4-3. So, yes, they are staying with a 3-4, and they like their long-edge uh, pass rushers as we now have in Leonard Floyd and, and Terrell Lewis. is kind of cut out of that same mold. So, yeah, they are definitely staying in the
2: 3-4. I would have thought, actually, and I would think with Waveflow that's gone, his was like a modified 4-3 into that 3-4 look, I th- I would actually think this may be a more pure 3-4 by the time he's done putting this roster together. That's what he's been known to do is a 3-4 defense. Any thoughts there, Mike?
1: Well, you know, the thing is when you're talking defense, you will have maybe what whatever, if you're in a base 3-4 or a base 4-3 or even a base 5-2 or a 3-3 three, three stack. So teams have what their base is, but because you're running a number of different packages – it could be an inverted four-three, depending on who the personnel is. So, uh, yeah, I agree that the the base will be the three-four, but they'll have variations off of that to you know do what they need to do, whether it's coverage or bringing some pressure.
3: Yeah, I think I think most and and Mike, correct me if, I, if you think I'm wrong here, but I think most defenses these days, a lot of them are hybrids. Anyways, <laughs> that's where. They're not always running, you know, three, four as per se, three, four. You know, a lot of times you guys have guys with their hands in the dirt and you got four down, down, uh, defensive linemen. So I don't know. Kind of seems like depending on what your personnel is and, and the flexibility of such that they run a lot of hybrids.
1: Oh, no doubt. No doubt. That's why you see a lot of times now they're saying edge rusher. Used to be DN, the end, but they're trying to get that guy who can put his hand down, turn into a right. 4-3, or you're in a short yard. Is, you know, you don't necessarily have to bring big people on the field. You can just have that guy get his hand down in the dirt, you know, and now line a safety up outside or stack behind him or backer. Right. Or you can take that guy, you can stand him up, and he can drop in coverage, you know, cover the flats and, you know, do some different things like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep, hybrid is a, is a a great term for many of our defenses these days.
3: Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's why they they like Floyd so much coming over because I, I think he's kind of like that perfect guy where you know he could stand up or he could put his hand in the dirt. Um, and like I said before, I think Terrell, Terrell Lewis is this, is the this same type of guy because he did that at Alabama, where Saban had him. Uh, doing doing both, you know, rushing outside from the edge and a two point stance, and then also inside on a three point stance. So, uh, you know, they obviously had, they had, they they were they look they're looking for a type. So they had, they definitely have a type for their outside edge rushers. Okay, so next
2: one is, who do we have as the favorite for kicker and the favorite for QB two and QB three? Mike, you go first. I
3: love I love that question.
1: Well, the the kicker obviously is going to be the guy who has been here, <laughs> and then uh, QB two and QB three. Uh, I think we talked a little bit briefly. Uh, I, I'm going to assume Walford since he was here, he should make the team, and then uh, it's it's going to be a toss up between Love and and Perkins. Of course, if you want a guy whose upside ability to now match his ability to scramble and make plays on the run, you're going to go with a Perkins. If you want a guy who has shown that he can step up in a big game, then you may have a guy like Love who really, for lack of intents purposes, you know, last year being uh, Steve noticed first year plan really full-time, full-time, but if you look at a guy who then played full-time for one year and was the Mountain West Player of the Year, I mean, that speaks for itself. So he, there's something about him. Anytime you're able to win Player of the Year, you're playing against a lot of guys uh, in a conference. And when you're singled out as Player of the Year, you got to be special in certain ways. Wait, what? Well,
2: the guy who's been here, you yeah. don't have well, anybody who's been here. Are you talking about... Who signed earlier than terms of the XFL and the other guy?
1: Yes, I wasn't paying attention.
2: <laughs> oh, no, you
1: missed it. Yeah, because Greg Delay's gone. But yeah. but it's gonna be uh I don't know I'm drawing rank, but I think out of those it'll be the young man that they drafted.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well I, I mean I I think it's it's obviously a three-way competition, right? So I, I think that with McGinnis coming over from the XFL, who's arguably the best kicker in the XFL, and we'll call him uh, Liram H. Halarula, um, coming over from the CFL, who's one of the better kickers from the CFL. Uh, both looked like they had pretty, pretty strong legs. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by the, the Sloman pick because of the fact that we had the, the two other guys already in, in camp uh, or on the roster. So, but apparently Sneed said that Sloman was their top kicker on the board, and it was interesting because when they got to the seventh round, uh, Sloman was still there, and they knew there were other teams that had a lot of interest in him, and instead of getting into a bidding war with the other teams on him, they just decided to, to, to use a draft pick. So I think, I think you're right. I think Sloman's probably got the inside track only because he's a pick, but you know, he's a seventh round pick. It's not like he's a fifth round pick. The Patriots took a kicker in the fifth round. So True. unless, unless he's, unless he's pretty bad, he's probably going to make the team. But um, se- the seventh round pick is, a, you know, th- those guys get cut all the time. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Solomon, you know, he's 5'8", 200. So he's, he's built like the mini fridge in your hotel. Um, it, it'll be interesting uh, to see. Apparently, you know, he's four out of five from over 50 yards. So He's got a strong leg. Uh, he was very good. I think he was one of the higher percentage in terms of touchbacks in college football last year. So that's a good sign. Um, the other two I don't really know much about, I'll be honest. So it again. I, I don't know anything about, to be honest, about all three of them other than statistics. I haven't really seen them, obviously kick uh, in person. I think I did see McGinnis play or kick in an XFL game, but you know we we, we don't know. I, I think you got you got three guys. It's going to be a good competition, and and let the best let the best man win. I don't know that anybody has an inside track at this point.
1: No, I you know, and I agree. Uh, I don't know. You're going to jump in here, Derek. Uh, the only one thing is that you're pointing out in regards to Mc- McGinnis is the fact that he's actually kicked in somewhat of a NFL type of structure and game. Somewhat a little bit of pressure, you know, maybe kicking in that to try to get an opportunity in the NFL. The thing is, when you draft a guy like Sam, obviously there's some reason why they draft him. Maybe it's the touchback ability. Maybe it's the ability to kick it from outside of 50 yards. But as a kicker, the big thing is going to come down to is can you make kicks in the clutch, whether it's 50 yards or even 30 yards? So uh, that's where you think a guy like McGinnis might have a little bit of an edge.
3: Yeah. Well, um, the Canadian kicker actually had a game winning kick to win the, the the Gray Cup. And the CFL, he kicked a 38-yarder at the buzzer, at the buzzer, at the whatever you want to call it, with, with, cl- with the clock expiring to win it to win a great Cup. So you know it's not the NFL, obviously, but uh, he has that experience. And you know you could also say he's got experience kicking in cold weather, obviously being in the Canadian Football League. So there, there's that too. So I, I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a good competition. You know, the, the good thing for all three of these guys is they're gonna be kicking pretty much indoors so the, with the new stadium built the way it is you really only have uh, the outside the, the edges is being uh, exposed to the elements so he's gonna have a he's always going to have a roof over they're always going to have a roof over their heads in terms of kicking so they're not gonna to have to worry about the elements at all
2: I think the rookie has a great shot but there's something about experience. And I like the fact that McGinnis has been there and done that, worn the t shirt a little bit. That kind of experience is valuable in the NFL. So overall, I, I slightly give McGinnis the, the edge for now. All right, so sticking with the questions here John Lorette at John Lorette1 asks Who do you think will be the linebacker aside or beside? Micah Kaiser, Kenny Young. I think he's saying Kenny Young. It says Kevin May. I think he's saying Kenny. Kenny Young. Clay Johnson. Or Traven Howard, who's the linebacker next to Kaiser?
3: You want me to go first?
2: Go for it. I was just looking
3: to see if somebody won yeah. that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's gonna be it's gonna be a good battle for sure. Um, Kenny Young was actually a starter a few years ago on a pretty good Baltimore defense. Kind of fell out of favor there, obviously, but uh, you know he, he's got talent. Um, Troy Reader started several games for us last year, and you know this is a guy coming out of Delaware who was undrafted free agent, like we were just talking about, and you know came in and made the team on special teams, and because of injuries, you know was pressed into starting duty. So he's got it. He's got some experience there. The guy that I, I really like is is Trayvon Howard. Uh, this guy was pretty much a hybrid safety slash linebacker at TCU, and came came here as uh, I believe he was drafted in the sixth round, or seventh round. I'm sorry, seventh round in 2018, uh, and came here and kind of came the camp had a lot of a few injuries here and there. So never really got got started in 18, and then got a little playing time again because of the injuries in, in 19 got some playing time, especially towards the end of last year, and, and I thought he did really well. I, he, he's very good in, in pass rush and pass coverage, being a former safety, so I really like Howard a lot there. I could see Howard uh, as being the, the the guy next to Kaiser. I think he probably has the inside track.
1: Mike? Yeah, I mean, uh, makes a lot of sense, uh, but it looks like You know, with the addition of the uh, new free agent that just uh, was signed, or the two, Greg Reeves and Christian uh, Roseboom, uh, the linebacker position is going to be a highly competitive situation. You know, guys have an opportunity to make the squad. The dilemma is it's going to be a thinking man's game this go round because you're not going to have this probably long preseason or camp even where you can you know do some things or learn at a slower pace so i'm going to give the nod to i don't know whoever can pick it up i mean you see a guy like clay johnson uh i believe who was out of baylor who was coming off an injury but was a three year three or four year starter so a guy like that, you figure knows the position pretty well. But again, and he was a seventh round draft pick. So you may give a guy like that a nod to to get in the mix, you know, because he can do some double duty at special teams as well. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to say that at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who can pick things up the quickest. So lead you back to a guy like Kenny Young, uh, or Trayvon, who's who's been here or been in the league, uh, you would think, but again, they're coming into a new system, so uh, we'll
3: see. Yeah, John, Johnson's a really interesting interesting guy. You, 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 we all saw his uh, his answer when he picked up the phone with with McVeigh and how he wanted right, right. to run through the door and. You know he's he's definitely a guy that I think makes makes the fifty three slash fifty five right away, and a guy who's going to contribute heavily on special teams. I just to Michael's point, I, I just don't think that with this short offseason that you're going to have too many rookies, especially at a, a position like linebacker. Who are going to be playing any significant snaps at the beginning of the year in terms of defense? Uh, you, you brought up Roseboom as as, as, a, as a name too, and that guy is very very interesting too as an undrafted free agent. I can definitely see that guy making the team um, and, and having uh, a significant uh, impact on special teams because he he looks like he looks like a real player. He's he's another another guy who I'm trying to get my hair to look like because he's got that Clay Matthews hair going on, but he was. Like a three-year captain at South Dakota, and he's, he is a really super active guy. He's, he's just part of a really, really good undrafted free agent class there. But I, I think at the end of the day, like Mike said, it's going to come down to the experience. And I think it's going to come down to either Reeder or, or Howard or, or Young. But I, I think at the end of the day, it's Howard uh, that, that wins the job. So
2: I think it's going to be Trav and Howard. And I think it's pretty plain to see unless they make the move on someone gets cut. He's been there the longest. He knows how this roster works. Kenny Young, to me, was kind of an afterthought, just kind of a roster dump when the Rams got him from from Baltimore. He's got speed, special teamers, yeah, but if they want him to start, I think we'd be talking more about I think we'd hear more about him, but we don't. Clay Johnson's a developmental guy. I think it's actually one of the more simple questions for us right now. Yeah. So uh, Last one. This is from Eric Dreyer at E-D-R-Y-E-R at uh, 4356 where do the rams rank in the nfc west did they get better or worse in the off season oh boy that's the question steve we'll go to you first
3: well you know based on what they did in the draft based on the fact that they got cam Akers in in the in the with their first pick who i really really like i think that situation, the the run game is going to be better, and and just bear 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 with me for a second here. I I, I think that with the girly situation last year, and McVeigh not sure as to how to handle it, and in, in terms of the reps and and the play calling, and and Todd not being so happy here, as you he can as we had kind of spoke on ad nauseum, that I think. The running game is going to be a lot better, and I, I think with the combination of of Acres and Daryl Henderson, I I really like that running back by committee uh, setup. And I think I think our running game is going to be superior to what it was last year. It better be, or we're going to be in trouble because it was it was it was pretty pretty bad, particularly the first half of the season. Uh, you know, a lot of that falls on the offensive line as well, but. You know, we had those injuries. I think our offensive line is going to be a lot better. What people don't remember last year is that Joe Nopum and Brian Allen were starting their first games in the NFL. Boom had zero experience at guard. He was a tackle at TCU. He was drafted as a tackle at TCU. He pretty much played tackle His you know as the backup uh, in, in his rookie year in terms of taking, taking his reps. They did not play in the preseason. They did not play one snap in the preseason. So of course they come to the first few four, five, six games, you know, in the in the regular season and these guys are not ready to go. And I think if they had to do it all over again, McVeigh would have made a different call on that one. And I think this situation this year with the offensive line, you know, and health is the is is the big equalizer, right? you got to stay healthy. But if these guys stay healthy, along with the depth that they will have based on who they have, based on the fact that they had eight guys who started at least six games last year, I think our offensive line is going to be vastly improved. So thus, the quarterback is going to be better. The running game is going to be better. uh, The whole offense is going to be overall better. The big question is, you know, we have a new defensive coordinator. How long is it going to take? Especially with this offseason the way it is. Um, so the defense is, is is a little bit more of a uh, issue. But I like the pieces they've added through the draft with both Terrells, uh, Lewis and Burgess. I think both of those guys are going to get significant snaps. And uh, the addition, of course, with Leonard Floyd and Ashawn Robinson, our, our defensive line is going to be really stout. Uh, you know, Sebastian Joseph Day played really well last year. Uh, but he's a smaller guy. A'shawn is a, a big, big, big space eater who's only going to help Aaron Donald in, in my mind. I, I obviously, they're gonna, Aaron Donald makes everybody else around him better, but I, I think with a big body like Aishon in the middle there, I think that's really going to help Aaron Donald as well. So I, I, I like what we've done in the draft. I don't think Seattle did very well in the draft. I don't like their draft. I don't see how Seattle is any better this year than they were last year. Uh, I think Arizona's going to be improved, but I still don't think Arizona's roster is as good as the Rams' roster. I think the 49ers are a good, good, good football team. You know, obviously they were in the Super Bowl last year. But you know what? We had a chance to beat them in San Francisco, and we played them without our number of, our starting running back in the home game last year. So we, we had two really good chances to, to beat them and actually probably should have beat them in San Francisco, those two third and sixteens that they converted. But, so, I think they have as good a shot at division as, as anybody in the division.
2: Alright. Mike, you heard that. What are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I'm going to kind of go
1: a little bit against the grain here. Uh, all those points are valid. I think we're maybe overlooking one of the things that it's going to be a telltale sign, and we'll see it early on. I mean, we have new additions at the quarter coordinator positions. Not so much on offense in regards to, because I think we all would agree, Coach McVay pretty much runs that show. But when you lose a guy like Wade Phillips and his experience to, one, be cool and calm under pressure, two, to be able to uh develop and design any type of defensive scheme as needed. Uh, and just his presence and experience overall. So you have a new guy, first year, first time defensive coordinator coming from a position coach uh, having to now step up and try to gel all kinds of different personalities. That's probably one of the the traits of a a head coach, a D.C. or O.C., is how do you get all the different personalities to get on the same page? And though you would love to say, man, you know, it's the L.A. Rams, you're playing a great environment, you got a new stadium. Those aren't the things that make guys team players. It's typically someone driving that boat. So with all the new changes in regards to down to even the strength coach and all those things, and with now this, covid situation where it's going to start out with you know virtual meetings and all that good stuff it's not going to allow in my opinion the time necessary that typically you have in a regular off season where you get a new coach in you have a number of voluntary mini camps if you will people show up uh so I just think with all those things happening and all the newness and all the changes and now with when are we starting situation at our front door, it may be a little tougher challenge. So when I look at the other teams, Frisco, Seattle and even Phoenix, you know, they haven't had these wholesale changes on the coaching side, new defense, new schemes or what have you. So that is allows them to be i think have a lot more consistency in their off season and they're going to be a little bit they should be a little bit ahead of anything we're doing
2: that's been my concern the whole time is i'm not sure how we could say they're better than many teams in division right now if they've had changes across the roster and across the coaching staff in several key areas. And some of the some of those coaching staff improvements are, are improvements. Having an offensive coordinator now matters. But when you didn't have that, you still had Wade Phillips there. And you still had, geez, you had Bones there. And now those guys are gone. you got to try and make things happen with a new staff that has a little bit less leadership than it did before. On the flip side, your roster still has people like Aaron Donald who exemplify in everything – they do. The idea that they want to win, that they want to be top of the game. That's a good thing. But it's not like these guys can spend every minute of the day with Aaron Dahl when they're in quarantine. I think if they the Rams still, stay where they are, Steve, I think if they stay where yeah. they are, and we're, they're in quarantine for every day, it's going to be a problem. If quarantine ends up being loosened up soon, then it, it, they'll catch up. It's no big deal. But
3: Yeah. It, it well, matters. I mean... The, the thing is the thing is the NFL is not going to uh, allow these guys to you know have only one or two weeks of on the field uh, you know practices and things like that i mean th- 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 we're talking about a minimum of a six week six week uh situation be- before they ever play what, what probably is a a preseason game or two but but that being said i, I don't discount what you guys are saying but and, and it's a, it's a it's a great point because the other three teams in the division have the same same coaching staff, right? So I, I don't discount that. That is definitely a factor and, and more so of a factor this year. But like Derek just said, they do have a lot of guys, veterans, and, and we, they're not running a different system in terms of a, a 4 3, in terms of and, and the 3 4. They're running a, a, a similar but different system, I suppose. But that being said, they do have the veterans, they do have the Aaron Donald. So my, Michael Brocker's coming back was huge. Uh, for for just not just the locker room presence, but but being a veteran guy who's who's going to pick up things really quickly, you know they still have John Johnson back there who's was, who was also hurt last year, and Jalen Ramsey who they only had for the last what eight games of the year, uh, so you know they they're going to have him for a full full year this year. So I I think they have the talent in place. Uh, to to overcome some of the shortcomings in terms of the the coaching staff uh, or learning a new a new system within a, a new defensive coaching staff and special teams too they have a new special teams coordinator so that, that's going to take take time as well so uh, you know those, those are those are all good points I just don't know though that the other teams in the division have made such great strides. And, you know, we were right there. We we're, we're, we're a zero-line field goal away last year of basically, you know, getting in the playoffs and being ahead of Seattle. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I think the margin of, of, of difference in terms of where we were last year and the other two teams, the Niners and the, and the Seahawks, it, I mean, it was not that great. I, I don't know that either team was that much better than the Rams were. So.
2: I think talent-wise, the Rams are up there. I think they were. Now you've lost some talent, and you're trying to reload, and you're trying to depend on guys you developed. And so, they could want to come back this year, and we could be saying the praises for a team that knew exactly what they had in the roster, and they made the right moves, like like letting Cooks and Gurley go at the right time. Or we're gonna be saying, look at the weapons that you let go, look at the guys you like, look at Fowler and what look at what they're doing, and you let all these guys go. It could go either way. I tend to favor the Rams' ability to develop players, but they didn't just let players go, they let coaches go. And and given the kind of format we're in right now, I have more doubts. I don't have that straight faith I had a year ago, basically because of that faith was not rewarded. I was very iffy, very concerned about them not having these guys with that offensive line having reps. But you know what? It's Sean McVay, it's his staff. They know what they're doing. Okay, fine. I'll trust them. And yeah, they're, they're gonna mess it they, up. They're gonna. Have,
3: yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely gonna have to score a lot, a lot, a lot of points the first half of the season while the defense gets up to speed. Uh, I think there's there's no doubt about that. But I, I think that offense is going to be just because you're gonna have, or hopefully, you know, of course, health is is the is the key factor. You know, some consistency uh, 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 on that offensive line. So. Uh, which is which is the key to any any offense or team for that matter is that offensive line being staying intact and being healthy and 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 being able to control on the scrimmage. So, you know, I, I don't I don't know that those other two teams are that much better to begin with, and I don't know that their off seasons were that much better than ours, if if any at all. So,
2: all right, guys. So, this leads into the crutch of our because I, I touched on it a little bit here, movement of coaches players gone and there's more to it. There's the Rams have their logo that basically flopped for much of the fan base. The uniforms are not out yet. It's May 3rd. They're the last team to release her uniforms for the, for the group that's doing new this year. Some of that is, have to, has to do with the stadium not opening on time and so on and so forth. I get it. But now you have Clay Matthews suing the team over money you have Orlando Pace on Twitter talking about how he was not respected. And it wasn't by the player, the rookie, but by the Rams for allowing this rookie to take the number 76 at not being retired yet. And over the years, I have heard this said over and over and over again. The Rams have a disconnect with its past, with its history, with the things that matter, like the logo, like the players, like the history. And that really came to mind today, as we've been seeing. Obviously, you can get all these different things that are really negative on the Rams. I want your thoughts as to do the Rams right now have an image problem? The real deal, they have an image problem. And when you see Chargers fans poking at the Rams and saying, "Look, you have an advantage, LA, and you're blowing it," well, you have to really blow it to lose out to the Chargers. But do they have a problem, Mike? You know I'm coming to you first on this one.
1: Do the Rams hey, have a problem? Come on, I'm ready. I'm I'm circling the ball in outfield. I got it. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely is something to to talk about and discuss and to uh, just just be honest about it. And I think what happens with an organization like the Rams, such as like what's wrong with the Browns, uh, when you go from a city that you were in, you move to another city, and then in this case, you move back to... The city that you started out with, it it just kind of seems like it's left bad taste in certain individuals. You know, some of us who were out here in California, Rams left, you know, we're, man, disappointed and, and all that other stuff. Once they came back, it was like, all right, man, our team is back. Others, not so much. It's like, hey, man, you guys left. It's like the girlfriend. Hey man, you left. I'm kind of over you. I've moved on. And I think that's what it is that some people have moved on. Same as with the case with all those guys who played in St. Louis. Cause if you think about it in their mind, they're like, we are the best Rams displayed. I know there's other hall of famers and so on and so forth, but we're the teams that brought super bowls and championships and created hysteria with greatest show on turf, have some of the best players that ever suited up in Ram uniforms, not discounting the others, but in their mind, a lot of those teams that, that played in St. Louis feel that, you know, there's a little bit a disconnect, as you said, in regards to recognizing them as opposed to obviously always somewhat being recognized as the Los Angeles Rams.
2: And I, I think it's even more than that, though. I think it's more than just the team the team's moves. The team is identified by its behavior across the board. And even when the team was in L.A. the first time, they didn't always have the world's best relationship with the fans. I
1: mean, that's, that's true.
2: That's a fact. And they had their wars with players. You, of all people know, you watch some things happen over there. I look at it also... It's a you have a completely different staff now. Those guys, John Shaw's gone, and and Jay's gone. I Zeman's gone. I mean, I can see the complaints of same old
1: Rams. Well, it's not, but it is. It's just well, you the have same to think about it, way, though, Derek. Right? What? Yeah, think about it, Derek. When they were here in LA, they took a lot of flax because they moved from the Coliseum out to Anaheim. That was like a big deal. And they're, they're in allowed what now are the crazy Raider fans, not crazy, but you know, really crazy about their team I would say, uh, to come in and just say, well man, this is Raider Nation now. You, know, you see Ice Cube and a lot of those guys, Snoop, they're like Raider type guys. Whereas if we would have still been at the Coliseum, I mean, those would have been, you know, our players now, I mean, uh, fans, if you will. So I think the fact that they moved from the Coliseum this planet, uh fan base, moved to Anaheim, moved from Anaheim, moved to St. Louis this planet, fan base again, moved from St. Louis back to L.A., but didn't go back to Anaheim. They're now slash workout in Thousand Oaks. Team's going to be in Inglewood. So, it's kind of like you have this smorgasbord approach, and yeah, they've they've done a lot to try to endear the fans, but again, you're now coming back after so many years being gone, and there's just other things, as everybody's always known, that are going on. So, I mean, we saw it when we were kind of on a little bit of a losing streak there, you know, the stands were like almost empty. So... Except
3: I was there. I just only, I want to point that out. I was, <laughs> I was still there amongst amongst the thirty thousand and a seventy two thousand Anaheim Seat Stadium. I I was there. I was there even when it was cold and rainy in December. I was I was there supporting you. But uh, you know I like to ask, ask, ask Mike, as Mike as a former player because as as somebody who goes to all the games here in LA, I know they have a, uh, a kind of a, a ram a past ram. Uh, every game they introduce. Uh, a Ram, a former Ram, I should say, uh, every game. And, you know, they put his highlights up on the scoreboard and they, they introduce him. And so I think as, as a former player, I'd, I'd like to ask you, how do you feel? I mean, ha- I mean, I know a lot of the guys are kind of, and I know during the practices here, when we had practices uh, in 16, when they first came out in 17, they had a lot of the former LA guys uh, come out. Actually, Leroy Urban came to... Uh, the pra- a couple practices I was at, so I got a chance to talk to him a little bit, and you know, so from a from a player perspective, how do you feel the Rams treat their former players? As Derek brought up the the, the jersey thing with with Orlando Pace, uh, h- how do you feel a- about that? Well, you,
1: I I think if I'm going to speak truthfully, you have somewhat mixed emotions. I mean, you're happy to have worn. The, the horns and the, the blue and gold and, you know, played with, in my opinion, some, for great fans. It was my favorite team growing up. And I tell people all the time, had I not got drafted by them, I probably would have been playing baseball. Uh, but the fact is, you have this great things and then not so great things. You know, I was a guy who had to fight every year to try to get a contract. But I was one of the few starters who didn't have incentives. I was a few starter in two of my contracts, I didn't get a bonus. You know, things like that they're unheard of just from a basic. I got a bonus coming out of college and now two more contracts with the team, no signing bonus because it was political and oh, it was this kind of un unwritten rule that okay whoever signs first they're going to get it the most as opposed to hey let's be fair and give each person what they've earned so for me you have those kinds of memories and if guys have had those kind of memories it could be like hey man i love you oh man and then something goes bad you go you know what same old rams uh personally though to add on to that when they came back to thousand oaks and fortunately i was living right there in thousand oaks at the time they really created a lot of things on you know having different get togethers and things like that and and reunions and you know getting guys together so that's been great so i had a chance someone like me to actually meet orlando and, and get to talk to him and and then he you know finally know who I am and in a personal manner so those things have been great but it's just some things protocol wise that you know kind of get out of whack it's kind of like with that Eric Dickerson thing and you know Jeff Fisher and <laughs> yeah. so things like that that still happen you go why is that stuff still happening so yeah. uh, no matter which way you see it, there's never going to be a perfect world you can't please everyone so if I'm answering the question truthfully i think they've done some some great things thus far but obviously you know got some some ways to go
3: yeah i mean i think as far as the uh the the jersey number retirement situation you know it it, you only have so many numbers that you could you could issue right so you can't start retiring everybody's number just because they made it to the hall of fame you got to be i think you have to be really uh you, you know there's 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 special special guys special numbers and, and all that but you, you kind of have to be, pick and choose obviously uh 80's been retired and uh i believe they retired 28 as well but you know they haven't retired court warner's number yet have has jackie slater's number 78 no yeah that's retired seven that's retired oh, is, that, is 78 retired I believe so. I believe I was reading the air okay. to make sure, I, but I I would think it I I would think it would be. I know Isaac Bruce is retired for sure because I was actually I flew to St. Louis for the Isaac Bruce retirement uh, jersey game, but uh, and I and I'm pretty sure Marshall Falk was up there too. So Jackie could be up there, but you know the interesting one is is 85. Do you know that uh, Jack Youngblood's number? They've never issued. They've it's not officially retired by anybody. But the office, the uh, equipment guys would not issue 85 to anybody for for uh, the longest, longest time. And I still think that is the case. I still don't think they issue 85 as a number, even in the preseason, to anybody. But, you know, as far as the kind of numbers and things like that, I mean, it becomes a logistic situation, right? Because you can't really, you know, retire numbers. They just gave uh, C.D. Lamb number 88 in Dallas, so he was... Uh, the old Michael Irvin, Drew Pearson, you know, number. So, you know, you can't, you can't really re- retire numbers. So, I, I know Orlando might have been a little uh, upset because he is a Hall of Famer, but you know, especially with those those seventy numbers, where you only have you only have a f- few of them, and you're going to have like ten offensive guy or ten offensive linemen in training camp who pretty much take the seventy numbers, right? So,
2: and the problem with that though is. We're not just talking about those things. We're talking about arguably one of the best tackles to ever play the game. A guy who who created an actual stat. We're talking about a guy who, without him, the Rams do not win a Super Bowl. Uh, he was the anchor for that offensive line. We're ta- we to you know, we put great show on turf guys in, like Marshall Falk and, and Isaac Bruce. Their numbers are retired. Well, you know what? Orlando Pace was, then it was, with the Rams, longer than Marshall Falk was. And quite frankly, he was effective for longer than Marshall Falk was in that uniform. Because Marshall Falk yeah. did break down a little bit after, you know, mm-hmm. the Gray Show on turf had their big years. It, and that's not, by the way, that's, not a, that's not a hit on Marshall Falk, by the way. That's just, it's just fact. So, to me, I, it's a great point. My overlying point is this, because... If you take piece by piece, story by story, there's a lot oh, you can explain away. Well, this was years ago. This was this, and Clay Matthews. We don't know what's really going on with the Clay Matthews situation. So you can you, can, you can go down many different paths, but when the little stories keep adding up, then you got a problem. When you have you know when you have pace, and you, you, we had an interview with Jack Youngblood years ago. at Norm did it, and he talked about how the team did a you know a really bad job with showing anything towards any of the la players when they were in st Louis Dickerson mentioned that and I just look at this and go this team for the longest time doesn't seem to get it they don't seem to, to really have the best relationship with the fans they haven't seen to have the best how do you say it? it's like it's like a person who if the Rams are a person and they're they're that dude in the room who has all these things going on in front of them, and he's oblivious to everything. That's how I feel like the Rams are with the fans and the players and so on and so forth. They're oblivious to the things that matter. Anybody with a half, a semi-functional brain would tell you don't mess with the horns, don't mess too much with the uniforms, leave the colors alone. So what do the Rams do that we know of thus far? They... Ooh, they they hit on the colors and they really monkeyed up that that logo. I mean, they monkeyed it. Up. How do you monkey up that logo? And they still did it. And now they they can't even get the uniforms right. In terms well, we of don't even know. a release date. They, you, you. No, 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 no. no. Well, this is, this we, is, hold on. I'm not saying the uniforms suck, okay? I'm saying they can't even get the <laughs> yeah, uniforms we, we out there in, in a competent way. They have their fans been waiting well, for months to do it, and they're going to say, no, "No, come on, this is my chance to talk this out. They're going to say that the Rams are saying, well, hey, we had this plan for the stadium, so on and so forth. You know what? You've had two months to figure this out. The lockdown started almost two months ago. And you still have people getting, waiting on this. You be you got to find a way because if these uniforms suck mm-hmm. they got some problems in their hands. They got some problems in their hands. When you've got t- you got former players suing you, you got problems. When you got former players going back and saying same old Rams, and I'm quoting somebody in this conversation right now who said that, same old Rams. <clears throat>
3: I hate that expression by the way. But because <laughs> the 49ers, the 49ers used to say that, but it's right? got merit. <laughs> well, Mike, first of all, we haven't seen we, we, we haven't seen the jerseys yet. So I, I would I, I would pump the brakes on 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 that in terms but of I didn't say they suck. either. I didn't either say it's I, I'm but, saying they haven't come out yet. I mean, is that is that no, why you're upset?
2: No, I'm um, listen if come on, you guys have been podcasting with me or been around myself, one thing doesn't bother me. Okay, you start compiling things in there. I start looking and getting an issue with it. And if you look down the Rams record over 30 years, when it comes to personnel relations with players, with fans, they don't get a passing grade. They don't. Whether it's in St. Louis or here, they don't get a passing grade,
3: and I would challenge yeah, I mean, you to show they, they, me different. They've had bad, bad, bad ownership. I mean, we, we going going back to when when Georgia inherited it, inherited the team, and I, I know this is these were Michael's years, so I I, I don't want to say too much about it. But you know, I mean, that was that was a bad ownership situation, and and then you know the whole thing when. She passed away, and her family was in, involved in it. And then they sold it, and Kroenke took it over. And, and then the St. Louis fans were unhappy because they moved to L.A. And so, I mean, I think if you if you look at it from an overall perspective, yeah, they've had challenges. Going back to Michael's first point at the beginning of the podcast of because they moved from L.A. to Anaheim, from Anaheim to St. Louis, from St. Louis back to L.A., you know so you're always going to have people who are upset i know people who stopped becoming who, who stopped following the rams because they moved 40 miles down the freeway from from the coliseum to anaheim which in my mind was a little bit of an overreaction but you know to each his own but i mean as far to circle back to the uniforms you know yes they're not out yet and it seems that everybody else has come out you know the the patriots came out with theirs the browns came out with theirs the falcons came out with theirs the Falcons apparently were not that great in, or well received, you know, in Atlanta. But you know, we 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 kind of have to kind of just just wait here and see. I know Charles Robinson, our, the source from Yahoo, who had a source about the uniforms, who had the source originally about the logo, said the logo was really disappointing. Said the uniforms are actually really really good. So. We'll see. You know that remains remains to be seen. But I, I know we're all anxious for it.
2: It's not just about the. It's just the the compilations. Like you can't even get the little things right. You, I'm not complaining about the uniforms right now. If they hadn't been teasing us for two <laughs> months over, you know, if they hadn't. <laughs> well, let's be honest I, I about think that.
3: social. But I think social media teases you about it because I well, think no, it's no, no, it's no, no, really no, no. social media. I think it's Twitter. You know, all the Twitter. The, we'll call them Rams Twitter. That. Is teasing everybody over it and saying, "Hey, come on, come on, come on," you know. I'm like, uh, you know, all right, it's going to come out when it when, comes out. I mean, when, when they not come not out, a ton of are they're they're going on not there gonna... <laughs>
2: teasing that thing. Steve, come on, Kevin Demoth was teasing on that thing. He was well, trolling. I think, I think trolling. they were
3: teasing the lo- they were teasing the logo and going back to you know our earlier podcast. I think they actually, uh, in, in terms of the teasing of the logo, I think overhyped it. And I think maybe they're trying not to make that same mistake. And but they're just you know, maybe they're trying to get it right. Or maybe it's already maybe it's there there's there's some logistical issues right now that are going on because of COVID. Or maybe there's you know who knows? Who knows what the reason is? But I could tell you for one one thing for sure, when they run out of that tunnel for the first game, they're gonna have their new uniforms on. So <laughs> I don't think uh I guess I don't get ex- as excited about the fact that it's being delayed. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm interested in seeing it as much as anybody, but you know, I just it doesn't it doesn't get me that excited.
2: But it's not again. It's not one thing. It's a compilation of things.
3: Mm.
2: If it, it over years that has me irritated because and it's not because I'm trying to have a problem with, with my team. It's because I want my team. To represent well. I want my team to represent well on the field, I want them to represent off the field, I want them to represent to the community well, I want them to represent to the entire fan base in the country as a whole well. And they just find a way to be tone deaf. I think that's the best word used. The the Rams sometimes to me are just tone deaf towards other people. Mike, we haven't heard you talk in a while, what are you thinking?
1: Well, I'm, I'm thinking about what you're saying, and it's kind of what you're getting to is the fact that, you know, we're talking about expectations. And so I'm just thinking of, you know, my years going to NFC championship game in 89, and then we weren't close to it ever again for the next number of years I was on the team. And you go, well, how does that happen if you go one year to the next with really the same roster that's what we saw from 218 to 219 relatively the same roster yeah some unpredictable injuries but how do teams like the patriots you know and even seattle if you will you know Kind of consistently Green Bay consistently in the hunt year in and year out, year in and year out. You know, Green Bay had a brand new coach and a bunch of new people. And they were one, you know, couple series away from being in the big dance. So I think when you're talking about expectations, all those things come to mind because you go back to Super Bowl run against the Bears. Got shut out. You go about again. Our time. 89 got shut out. Then you finally get to St. Louis. Oh, we won some. And then, oh, we get out here. Oh, we're in the Super Bowl again. And then what happens? So I think what happens is the expectation is we should be an organization that across the board should be at the top, knocking on the door year in and year out. You take in location. You take in relatively, you know, strong fan support. It can get finicky out in Southern Cal many things to do. But for the most part, pretty solid fan support. Uh you've had we've had great players, you know, throughout the history of the organization, but the expectation is we probably haven't won as much as we should have. And you go, well, what does that? And ultimately, as they say, starts at the top, trickles down. So I would imagine if the organization is run top to bottom in a way that everyone really feels a part, not just an employee, that may be the thing that swings the pendulum to winning more than losing when you should.
3: Yeah, w- winning cures all. And, and I could tell you, if, if they if they win the first, you know, six games of the season, you, you're going to be hearing people say how great that logo is at, at, at the 50 yard line. I, I I think I I'd rather I I'd rather have a winning football team than than anything anything else. Obviously, I think that's an obvious statement. But you know, I, I think as to Mike's point, it, you know, we're we're two years removed from being 60, 60 minutes away from winning a championship, and you know, it, it's a lot of the the same core guys who are responsible for that. Uh, are still here. uh, Some have left, yes. The Corey Littletons, the Dante Fowlers are are no longer here. But we didn't have Jalen Ramsey then. Uh, We didn't have Cooper Cup for that game. As you remember, he missed half half the season at that point. So, you know, I think we are a lot closer in terms of winning, and I think winning breeds fan support. And I think fan support, you know, gets – people all excited about the good and positive things as opposed to things like the logo. So,
2: it's, it's, Winning matters. Winning is the most important thing of all, I guess. It is. For me, it's always been as a whole. you know, Because you know, unless you're the Patriots, most teams aren't going to have 20 straight winning seasons. They're not going to be great every year. You're going to have your ups and downs as a franchise. But the one thing you can guarantee you'd guarantee that you do is you can treat people right. You could be there 100% with your fans and, and be in touch, in tune with them. You can be in tune with the former players, the people who have worn the helmet. You can be in tune with the community and it just seems like no matter what, the Rams always fall a step short. And that's what I mean by them having an image problem. It's great when they win. It is, I, you know, but can they avoid some bad press once in a while when it comes to stuff off the field?
3: Yeah, I, think cr- about, yeah, I think not even criminal, Steve. <laughs> they're not doing anything yeah. criminal. No, no. I think a lot of teams though go go through that, I and mean, then you know, look at the the Bengals all these years and their ownership and and all the things that their fans have have endured and and all the criticism that they they've received Uh, you look at the the team like the jets same way with very questionable personnel moves and 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 you know so so there, there are a lot of teams that go through that with with their fan base and it all comes down to the same thing winning and losing right so you know i think with the new stadium though it's going to be interesting though because because um at the new stadium, they are going to have a, a ring of honor, so similar like a lot of a lot of state new stadiums have, and so it's going to be interesting to see w- who gets up there on on the ring of honor. Obviously, all the Hall of Fame guys, but I, I thought it was interesting. In, in St. Louis, they actually had Dan Dierdorf, who was a St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame offensive lineman. It, uh, in the Ring of Honor at the Edwards jo- Jones Dome, even though he wasn't part of the organization, <laughs> he was a St. Louis Cardinals, which is a different organization. So I always thought that that was interesting in terms of who they honor as ex players. But it's going to be interesting who who gets up there in the Ring of Honor and and who who gets left off. So we'll have to see about that.
0: All right,
2: guys. Well, it is time to go, and I, I, that was. The the big big change here. We, I just was reading stuff. That yeah, was it was funny. You know, let's have one. that conversation because, and it's going to come up more as time goes on, as well. And I know you mentioned things like the the, you know, the the Browns, the Jazz, the Bengals, and even so, these the I, we're not Bengals fans, we're not Jazz fans, we're Rams fans, and we can talk about those franchises all we want, but I'm not go ahead and do it. little what about this i don't care about that i care about what the heck the rams are doing and win or lose they should be able to acknowledge players properly they should be able to be in tune with their fans and they should be able to carry out things in the community that are sensible and make sense and treat people with the class they should be treated with you can do that from any franchise whether it be the great ones or the worst ones you can still treat people classy and that's my problem it doesn't mean I'm, I wish ill on this team. I'm, I'm passionate about this team. You guys know that. And I mean no offense to anybody in the Rams' office. I'm just saying, man, just do better. Get your crap together because you you you, you want us to support you. And we do support you, but we also got to say, hey, man, come on, man, ain't cool. Stop playing these games and just, you know, be better about how you handle Things that are personnel wise, whether it's people, like the fans, or if it's the players or it's whatever, there never should have been a conversation in public about Clay Matthews. Never.
3: After Wait, that first Clay thing, Matthews, the, Clay uh, Matthews hold on, I'm say, brought it but
2: up. That never, he did. But from that point forward, that, that conversation never should have been out there. There's a reason why Clay Matthews is suing now, something happened.
3: Yeah, well, he's filed he's filed a grievance with the Players Association, and a, and a lot of players file grievances against their teams. It happens all the time. Um, so we we don't know. Just because someone files a grievance or a lawsuit doesn't mean that the party that's being sued or grieved is in the wrong. Okay, so, here's the thing. You know, when when we,
2: was, was the last time you saw Steve on the cover of a <clears throat> a mainstream news source on their first page, the news of a player – Filing against their team for pay. The only time in 25 years I've seen it has been involving the Rams. That's it. Why is it the Rams on a front page
3: page? We've never had a global pandemic that shut down every single sport there is. So pretty much any little type of news like that is going to be front page news. I mean, that's that's my best answer. Steve, yeah. <laughs> really? Are you really going there? I mean, the global. Every there's so much. Is that, is that I mean, world? I mean, let's be honest, Michael. Michael, you know, you know, you know. I'm sure you had teammates who who grieved the uh, the, the team in terms of uh of, of you know the NFLPA or. You know, grieving the, the team. I'm, it happens all the time, right? Am I yeah, wrong? I mean,
1: it happens, but what Derek is saying, it shouldn't happen. It didn't happen with him last year. What it comes down to is technically a bonus that he's owed or he feel he's owed based on his contract, whether it was a signing bonus, whether it was an offseason, whether it was a reporting bonus, whether it was a playtime bonus, so on and so forth. So, the idea that you have to now go fight again. I played for when when it was, hey, first man in, is going to get paid. Everyone else, oh well. So my thing is, yeah, you have new management and things like that. But as Derek pointed out, is there some type of hangover that some of that culture, when it comes down to brass tacks, we're going to now do everything from a business Standpoint meaning accounting, and we're going to make sure we put every dime we can into ownership's pocket as opposed to ah, you know what? We'll we'll make sure the players. It's like a guy played with OJ Bergantz uh, in <clears throat> Miami. Did he went on to play with? Uh, Baltimore Baltimore but eventually he has come down with the Lou Gehrig's disease yes yes but Baltimore kept him on because he was part of their uh community relations department and Mm -hmm. and as he got bedridden they still kept him on and he's still part of their organization to this day right so you go do they have to do that no same thing with the the guy uh Shazir Ryan with with Pittsburgh Same thing. So some people, as Derek has pointed out, in organizations, ownership, you know, whether it's Walmart, you know, wherever, they will do the right things, even though they may have to go into their own pocket a little bit.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the Rams did that a few years back when they were still in St. Louis. They actually had a seventh round pick. He was a wide receiver. And his name escapes me right now. But when he took his physical to come into training camp, he failed a physical because he had a heart condition. And doctors recommend he never play football again. And the Rams actually gave him a job. They, he had actually signed his contract already. Of course, they, uh, you know, he, they could have not have paid him because he failed his physical. But they went ahead and paid him his contract anyways. And they also gave him a, a job in the front office. So, I mean, those, those things do happen. And they should happen. Teams should take care of their players like this, like they, like Baltimore do with OJ. Burgan's, of course. Um, but so, well, I mean,
1: they, they technically, they did the same thing with Todd Gurley.
3: Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, so. they didn't know. They didn't know he had a bad knee when they signed him to the extension. They didn't well, know that yeah, he was, they, they they knew of was off. No, of because I, I don't think they were giving money away for free just to be nice. I, I think they really felt Todd Gurley was going to be part of their offense for for years to come. And, and maybe it wasn't going to be five years, but I think they were thinking it was going to be at least three to four really, really good years where his knee wasn't going to be the issue. I, I don't think they were being nice. Uh, the, you know, Michael knows this better than any of us. You know, there's no such thing as nice in professional sports. It's a business, you know, well, so you don't have to I treat think- it like
2: a business 24 seven. That's the problem that even if you if you look at how the Rams left St. Louis, it's not really the if you talk to a St. Louis fan about it, it's not really the fact that they left me at sucks and they didn't like it. But it's the fact that he he had to go at St. Louis on the way out. In the, when the documents came out and, and the, what he put in those documents in terms of his reasoning for leaving, they just destroyed. Even though, in my view, many of those things he put in there were factual about the market itself. The fact that he was willing to hammer that market to leave the way he did, it, it showed that the business came first. And he was willing to put anything else behind that. But sometimes when you put the business first, you're putting the people in the end, and that hurts the business down the road. And that's what my concern is. If You you don't want to have the reputation of being a franchise that is just about the business and nothing else. You want to be have a franchise reputation that talks about, listen, this is a class organization. You want to go play there. You want to be a part of their fan base, and you want to be about their future. You don't want to be thinking, this is the if. A franchise that's all about the business that only cares about the business of the numbers, and that's it because in the end, then in the end, it's nothing more than the numbers and quite frankly, most people have a hard time staying with the numbers, and they become the bandwagoners. Yeah. You want people to fall in love with your organization. You can't fall in love with an organization that is always about the business and never about the person.
3: Well, I think if you ask Patriots fans. You know, it, it, the Patriots have their own way of doing things, right? Like releasing players or cutting players or trading players before they actually reach that point in time where they're on the downside. So they, they, do, they do a lot of things that, you know, that a lot of players don't like either. But guess what? They win games and their fans really don't care. So well, but, at the end of the, the day…
2: You don't hear the stories about the about Patriots not playing their about playing their. I can't can't even get it out now. You don't hear stories about the Patriots not paying their players. You don't hear stories about the Patriots being cheap or slamming um, no. their city or other things around it. You don't hear about the players being out of touch. Sorry, the fan, the team being out of touch with the fans in terms of things like uniforms and other little things like that. You don't hear about mm. that. You you know. The Patriots are about the winning. Their players know coming in, they're about the winning. They know they have a system there and expectations there. But just because you have a system in place like that does not mean that you are mistreating people. You don't hear Patriots, former Patriots players, mis- complain about treatment. They complain about the regimen. It's not the same.
3: Yeah. Well, going back to, to the Clay Matthews uh, grievance, uh, again, and, and I think I made this point when we talked about a few podcasts back, you know, sometimes there's language in a, in a contract. So there's, there's, there's two parts to it. There's the CBA, and then there's the personal contract between the player and the team. So sometimes maybe the language is not entirely black and white, and there's some gray to it. And so now there becomes a discussion as to when that, that roster – I don't know if it's a roster bonus or, or uh, what kind of bonus it is or what kind of money it is that he is owed. But let said. He said it in his, in his press conference a couple weeks ago when he was asked about it, when this, all, this whole thing came up, that Todd and, and Clay were both due the money. They are going to get their money, but I think it was a timing issue as to when they should get the money. So obviously, Clay's camp disagrees with the interpretation of the contract, whether it be the CBA or the personal contract. As to when that roster bonus is due. So obviously there is a difference of opinion. And that's what the grievance procedure is for. In any labor uh, employee relationship or grievance process, the grievance process is there. So that's where it is. It doesn't mean that the Rams are right. It doesn't mean that Clay's right. It means that they're having a disagreement. And so he's filed he's filed a grievance. And the Rams might lose the grievance, right? But we don't know yet. But I don't think this is the Rams being disrespectful to Clay at all. I, I just think these things happen where right, there is a again, disagreement. But let me lay so out that, for you. that's
2: my only let point. Me, that's my me, only point. Let me frame this though, okay? When you have a history of these things happening, okay? When you have a history going back to the era of Georgia Frontier of pay squabbles, and missing the boat when it comes to understanding what your fans are looking for, and so on and so forth. You don't get the luxury now of getting the benefit of the doubt. You just don't, because you don't have the history of, of in my view, being on the straight and narrow when it comes to this stuff. And for all I and for the record, the Rams probably are legit in this right. They probably have it down, and Clay's trying to do things his way. But Because they have a track record going back 30-some years. It's hard to look past it and think same old Rams. And not think same old Rams. Because it's been there over and over again. We're talking before this team, before Sean McVay took over, we're we're talking about a team that won, had, what? Three winning seasons in 20-plus years. 25 or 26 years.
3: Yeah, they made bad, they made, some they made very bad a coaching, lot of head bad coaching decisions. There's no bad choices PR across the board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can go back to Rich Brooks, you know, when he, he was the first, I think he was the first head coach in St. Louis. They they brought him in, in Rich Brooks because I think at that point, Chuck Knox had retired or they let him go. I don't know. remember the situation, but but I think it was it was Rich Brooks at the time. And, and then they had a string, you know, until Vermeil came in with Martz, uh, after that happened, then there was another string of bad coaching decisions in terms of Lenahan, Spagnolo and and those guys. So Fisher, uh, so you know, they I think they've got it right now. So, so we'll, we'll we'll see. But by the way, the name of that guy who I had to look it up because it was driving me crazy. His name was Bud Sasser, and he was a seventh round draft pick out of Missouri. And he failed his physical, like I said, with the heart ailment. And they gave gave him a job in in alumni relations with the Rams. So just wanted to put that in there.
2: So hey, Mike, last thoughts as well. You got you got them. We're out of here. We are running way long tonight.
1: Man, you, uh, <laughs> I think you hit it all, and we just gonna sign off. I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> all right, folks. All that said, I do want to lay this out because. I don't know if anybody for the Rams, listen, I just want them to understand this as well. This is is not meant to be some kind of attack on the Rams. This is a relation that I've been following for many, many years since I was a little boy. And because of that, I expect this team to be everything and more. I don't want them to be... The Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't want them to be the Cleveland Browns. I want them to be the freaking Los Angeles Rams, the one, the organization that is above and beyond reproach in every facet of the game. That's what I want them to be. So if I offended anybody over there, I apologize. I hope it does not hurt our podcast or anything like that. I wouldn't think it would, again, because I do believe there are classy people there. But you need to lay it out. All right. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams. And on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash RamsTalk. You can find me on Twitter at DC Plug. You can at Steve at Home 16 You can find Mike at one 23 Don't forget to follow us on Apple Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, pretty much everywhere. So for Mike, Steve, the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying, take it easy. We'll be back midweek as we begin the tour around the league. We're out of here. We'll see you.
1: Let's go.